talking about just this missions moment, our church has a ministry partner in India. Uh, we've been supporting them on a monthly basis for over a year now. You know, not much, but we send them a, a check consistently every month. Now it's at $300 a month, which is pretty cool. And in March of this year, Jim Lane and I, Jim is our youth pastor, we, will, we were able to uh, go overseas to India and actually see the ministry that Harvest India is doing over there. And it was an incredible experience. I have been overseas to, uh, man, probably more than a dozen different countries around the globe doing ministry similar to this. And I can tell you that India is a very unique place. But this trip filled my heart with a sense of just thankfulness that our church financially has the means, even if it's not a ton, but we have the means to support a ministry in India. I think that's cool. And if we send another team at some point in the future, I think we're trying to plan a trip for 2017. Um, I would love for you to seriously consider going to check out the ministry that Harvest India does there. But one of the experiences that we had while we were there was visiting a leper colony. And uh, Harvest India has been ministering to these people in this leper colony for a couple of decades now. And what's interesting is leprosy is actually a disease that has been more or less eradicated from the face of the planet by modern medicine, okay? You'd be hard-pressed to find a case of leprosy in America. Uh, Those affected by leprosy, as far as like new diagnoses each year, has been in a steep decline since modern medicine came on the scene and found more or less a cure, except in India— where more than half of the cases of leprosy diagnosed each year in the world are found in India because the government there has been unwilling to really do any sort of humanitarian work for the lepers that are in its country. And all it really takes is a simple cocktail of medication administered over a period of time to cure somebody of leprosy. If you were to somehow get it, it would basically be no big deal for you. Yet in India, again, more than 50% of all of the cases diagnosed in the world each year are found there in India, which is tragic because leprosy is a pretty nasty disease. It's a tragic disease. Uh, and I can tell you from seeing it face-to-face, it's, it's really not pretty, not only because of the physical decay that begins to happen, but because of the social decay that comes along with leprosy. On the physical side, leprosy uh, causes your skin to have lesions and dark patches and scaly deformities. It's not pretty to look at. But the real nasty symptoms of leprosy are what take place inside of your body. The permanent damage that comes to your nervous system, your limbs, and your eyes. And in short, while leprosy does deform your skin externally, the real damage is done to your nervous system, which stops reporting pain after a while. And so if you had leprosy, imagine this with me. If you had leprosy and you lived in India where you walk around all day without shoes on, that's one of the striking things in India. I think I saw like two pairs of shoes the whole time I was there. Everyone walks around barefoot. You have leprosy, you live there, you're out one day and you happen to step on a piece of glass on the bottom of your foot and you don't feel pain to alert you that you have a wound now in the bottom of your foot. And so you walk on that open wound for a couple of days. It doesn't bother you in the slightest. And over those couple of days, it becomes terribly infected, but you don't even notice. No pain. 
And in time, the wound gets so infected that gangrene begins to set in on your foot. And the body tissue around that wound begins to die. And if things continue to worsen without treatment, the infection eventually spreads to your bones and causes bone decay, which is irreparable damage. Maybe at some point up before that, you got fortunate enough to notice this wound on the bottom of the foot, and so you had to make the hard decision, uh, not because it hurts, but because you realize the condition that you're in. You had to make the hard decision to actually have your foot amputated. That's the kind of disease that leprosy is. In the end, the result is typically some, some form of disfigurement, often festering wounds, and just Uh, just a terrible physical condition, situation. On the community side, though, leprosy carries this social stigma because it's contagious. So here we are in India in a leper colony, and it's tucked away from the rest of society out in the countryside where it'll be safe, out with the monkeys in the middle of nowhere. And monkeys are cute, but let me tell you, if you live in a leper colony, they're pests. They're like rats. They're awful. And so Jim and I, we go to this leper colony, we meet Pastor Matthew, he's the local pastor of this leper colony, and he and his wife both have leprosy, and the first thing that you notice about Pastor Matthew as he shakes your hand is that he has no fingers on either of his hands, and he's missing most of his toes, which you can tell immediately again because he doesn't have shoes, and this disease has ravaged his body, he's losing his eyesight, and he's actually fortunate compared to a lot of other people who live in the same leper colony. And none of these people can go out and about. They can't be seen around town because in the public places, they're mistreated, they're abused, they're cursed at, they're scorned by the rest of the community because of the stigma that comes with having this disease. And even their children who don't have the disease but are stuck living with them are excommunicated from the rest of society because their parents have leprosy. And so these people, they huddle together in these local communities, these little colonies. They have very little medical treatment. There's almost no visitors willing to go visit them because people are afraid that they might contract the disease themselves. And so they're sick and they're ashamed and they're helpless. And if it weren't for Harvest India, most of these people would be living in shacks more or less made out of wooden pallets. And... uh, Scott, who was our American friend on the trip, our connection to Harvest India, he told us the story that the first time that he was in India, he was walking down the street in a marketplace, and he saw this man just start ruthlessly beating this woman in the middle of the street with a stick, big, thick, heavy stick. And, and he wanted to intervene, but he was actually stopped by his Indian counterpart who was there with him. And he come to find out that the man had every right to beat this woman because she was a leper and she had gotten too close to his shop. And nobody intervened to stop because they all thought that his actions in beating her were perfectly justified. It was her fault for being leprous and getting too close to the shop. Okay, now we're talking about 21st century India, right? We would never expect to see these kinds of things in 21st century America, but this is present day. But the response to people with leprosy has been pretty much the same as this, as it is in India now, all throughout human history in a whole variety of cultures. These people end up cast out of their families. They're viewed with fear that their illness might spread. They're considered helpless and dirty, and they're rejected by society. Okay, so now you know a little bit about the backdrop of leprosy as we look at this story. Let me read it again for you. 
Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, there's really only minor differences between the treatment of lepers in India and the treatment of lepers in Jewish society in Israel in the first century, okay? The Jews would have treated lepers according to God's Old Testament law found, especially in the book of Leviticus. They heaped onto that some sort of extra things to just kind of kick it to the lepers. But uh, Leviticus tells us that, as a, that if a person has leprosy or a variety of skin conditions that persistently affect them, then they're considered first and foremost unclean, unclean. Leviticus 14 verses 45 through 46, it says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So the Jews would have uh, behaved towards those with various skin diseases like leprosy, much like modern-day lepers are treated in India. And so we begin to see kind of the scandal of this scene. Jesus, who by this point is a rabbi in his own right, that's like the upper echelon of society. Jesus is a rabbi. He's respected. He's walking down the street with this crowd of people around him because everywhere he went, there was a crowd of people that followed him. And he's presumably in the middle of the city, in the middle of the day, when suddenly over all of the noise and the commotion going around going on around Jesus, we begin to hear this persistent cry in the backyard or in the background, unclean, unclean, unclean. And here comes this disheveled, deformed-looking beggar, shamefully alerting the crowd to his presence with these cries, unclean, unclean, unclean. And like this swift-moving stream around an immovable rock in the center of the flow, the crowd parts around this dirty man to avoid touching him. Because Old Testament Levitical law stipulated if you came in contact with something that was unclean, then you too became unclean. And the process for cleansing was rigorous. It was lengthy. It was, let's just say, very inconvenient at the least. And so the average everyday person avoided scenarios where they could be made unclean. And so you can imagine this crowd, it's pushing and shoving to stay near to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, pushing and shoving to stay away from this unclean leper. And suddenly, as this pushing and shoving is going on, the, the crowd parts in such a way that the leper catches sight of Jesus. Somehow manages to recognize him. And decides to move towards him while the crowd is pushing and shoving to get out of his way. And in time, the space opens up and the man finds himself face to face with Jesus. And he just falls at his feet. 
And he gives glory to God by acknowledging the power of Jesus over the material world. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And who knows how long this man had lived with this disease. Was it 10 years? Was it 20 years that he had been shamed walking around yelling unclean? Was it since his childhood? Had it been more or less the extent of his entire memory being unclean? And here before him stands one who can fix him, who can cleanse him, who can cure him of this filthy disease. And the leper says just these simple words, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And it's not a question, notice that. It's not a question. It's not even a request. It's not begging, although Luke says that he begs. The man doesn't put it in begging terms. It's simply this statement of fact about the authority of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus. It's a statement of faith, a statement of belief that Jesus is the one who can cleanse him and heal him and restore him. And oh, that you and I had the faith that this leper had. That our prayers to God wouldn't be timid questions. You ever come before God and pray like that? God, I really need this thing, but I'm kind of afraid to ask. And I don't know whether you can do it or you will do it. And so, like, forgive me for praying this. That our prayers wouldn't be mere requests. That they wouldn't be begging but that rather our prayers to God would be statements about his power to work in the world for his glory. And what you see in Jesus' response is the revealed will of God for his creation. Check this out. Jesus says, I will be clean. And so you need to understand, it is actually the will of God that those who look to Jesus with faith should be healed and cleansed and restored and made right. That's God's will for his creation. If you ever wondered whether God wills good for your life, then let your wondering stop here and now. God wills good for your life. Look up Romans 8.28. Jesus assures us, if we trust in him, his will for us is good. And the problem is not that our God does not will good things for Christians through Christ Jesus. No, Scripture tells us all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus. And the cross is proof of God's goodwill towards us. The problem is that we as Christians usually fail to have the kind of faith exemplified by this leper. He sees the goodwill of God as a fact, as a fixed permanent reality. And so he stands on that fact. And so Jesus reveals the goodwill of God for the restoration of this leper, and something truly unbelievable happens. I mean, quite literally, unbelievable. Many people disbelieve the Bible because of these kinds of stories in Scripture. Because Jesus does a miracle. He does something that is impossible as far as our minds are concerned. He does what modern medicine only dreams of accomplishing. He touches this man, and in an instant, his disease leaves him. His fingers grow back. His skin becomes smooth and his festering wounds are healed over. And I would speculate that that was just the external appearance of what happened in this man's life. Much more than that occurred. The pain in this man's heart from years of isolation, 
I think in this moment was healed by the touch of Jesus. The shame in this man's heart from the word unclean being seared into his conscience day after day after day was replaced by the honor of having Jesus lay a gentle hand on his arm. The pain and brokenness of loneliness and rejection and sorrow in an instant was all healed from this man's suffering heart. And I believe that the healing that took place for this leper, it wasn't just physical in nature. I believe that the healing actually cut to the very core of who he was. So that in that moment, even his heart was transformed by the tender touch of Christ. And this leper in this moment was a new man, both inside and out. He was restored. He was made new. He was cleansed. And that's the kind of power that the touch of Jesus Christ has. And if you've never experienced it, then I implore you, reach out to him this morning. Or maybe you walked in here this morning and your heart is just broken and you wonder, why am I even here? Like, what does this church thing have to offer for me? Jesus has an offer of healing and restoration. You may not have leprosy, but your heart may be broken and he can restore it. Now, what about Jesus? Jesus had touched an unclean leper. By default now, because of that action, Jesus himself was unclean. Where the rest of the crowd had pushed and shoved to get away from this man, Jesus had reached out and actually touched him. The rabbi in that moment had stooped from his high position in society to make himself unclean so the leper could be lifted up and made clean. And what an exchange that was. The clean for the unclean. And then Jesus tells the man, go and be obedient to the word of God and fulfill your obligation. Like the Old Testament commands, show yourself to the priest and make an offering to God. Now, if the leper had gone and been obedient to that, we don't know because it's not not here in the story. But if he had followed through with Jesus' command, he would have entered into this rather elaborate ceremony for his cleansing. And it's laid out again for us in Leviticus 14. There's really two parts, and the first is this cleansing ritual, and the second is sacrifices. I just want to focus on the first part, okay? First thing he would have done is he would have called the priest out to his camp outside of the city where he lived. And the priest would have come and would have looked him over, examined his skin to be sure that he had actually been cured and cleansed of his disease. And once it had been verified that he had been cleaned and healed, the priest would then take two living birds along with cedar wood, a piece of scarlet cloth, and hyssop, which is a kind of woody plant. It's an herb. And the priest would have taken one of the two birds and he would have killed that bird right there on the spot over a clay pot or a clay bowl filled with fresh running water that he had just taken from a stream. And the blood of that bird would have dripped down into the basin with the clean water and mixed with that water. The living bird then, he would have dipped into that blood and water and then set free. And finally, that same mixture of blood and water would then have been sprinkled onto the individual who had been cleansed seven times. Okay, now of course, all of this sounds very strange. I'm glad that I'm not an Old Testament priest. That would just be weird. But we can't let ourselves miss the intricate symbolism of this ceremony. 
Let me lay it out for you. I think I have slides. Were we able to get these up there? Okay, then don't worry about it. Just follow me. Sometimes it helps to see things on the screen, and I didn't know if this would be the case, but it's okay. The escape of the one living bird symbolized the new freedom entered into by the person who had previously been a kind of living dead. See that? The disease would inevitably lead to their death. And so one bird would go free to symbolize, in this cleansing, you have been freed. The bird that was killed then represented the death that would have resulted from the person's lack of cleanliness. The blood of that bird represents life. The water represents purity. And those were sprinkled on the healed person, identifying him with the bird that was free and clean and alive. And through the sacrifice of the dead bird, which represented the old self, this man was now alive, free again like the bird that was released. And finally, the cedar wood, the scarlet cloth, the hyssop, those were all symbols again of life and purity. So again, to us it sounds strange, but you can kind of see some of the nuances there, the significance. Now Luke doesn't tell us whether this man went and fulfilled his obligations to go through this ceremony. But let's not miss the fact that in this encounter with Jesus, Jesus himself fulfilled the requirement of the law and the ceremony was carried out in essence. It wasn't done with the flesh of birds. It was done with the flesh of Jesus himself, the blood of Christ. And maybe you've already seen it. Two people come together in this meeting between leper and Jesus One goes away to freedom to live a new life, and the other in his end gives his life as a sacrifice for sin. Look at it from the point of view of the cross backwards. The bird who dies represents Jesus, who who, though clean himself, dies for the uncleanness of the leper. The bird who gets away represents the leper who should have died for his uncleanness yet is set free. The blood obviously corresponds to the blood of Christ and the life of the leper. And the water is a symbol of the washing away of the uncleanness in the new covenant era like baptism. And then you have the cedar wood, the cross, the scarlet cloth, again red for the blood of Christ, and the hyssop, which just so happens to be referenced in John chapter 19 at the crucifixion. Listen to this. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So in this story, we see Jesus heal the leper. And through the future actions of his life, he upholds the Old Testament requirement for the cleansing of leprosy. Remember when Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Okay, neat. So maybe we see these correlations. We see a familiar story through a new set of lenses, right? You've probably heard the story of Jesus and the leper. Maybe you didn't know that it correlated so closely with Leviticus 14. Cool. What's the point? Well, the truth is that the story of the encounter between Jesus and the leper is really our story, isn't it? 
This is your story and this is my story because in reality, we all have leprosy. It's not a physical leprosy of the skin, but you and I, we have a leprosy of the heart. We are infected and diseased by sin. And in our leprous state, in our nature, we are dying. We are perishing. We are in spiritual death. And there's no hope. There's no cure. There's only the uncleanness of sin. Isaiah 64, 6 puts it well. We've all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Now, in this leprous and diseased state where we're covered with the terminal illness of sin, there's really, I think, two choices. The first choice is we can ignore it. We can downplay it. We can pretend like we're okay. We're watching our society do this in a fabulous way today. I mean, just, it's just incredible the way that our society can jump through or do gymnastics to sort of twist the reality of the human condition to make the world seem better than it is, okay? And so the first choice is we can ignore it. We can downplay it. We can pretend like we're okay. We can justify it and say, this is just the way that I am. We can play games with ourselves. We can say, I'm not perfect, but nobody's perfect. And, and so at least we're not terrible people, right? I'm not a murderer. I'm not a rapist. I'm not a drug dealer. I'm not a pimp. I'm a pretty good dude. Those are the really heinous people with seriously deformed hearts who are missing limbs. They're the ones who are infected with this disease of leprous sin. But I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than those people. But let me tell you, if you had real physical leprosy, would it matter at all to you that somebody else had it worse than you? Think about that for a second. If you were really sick with this disease, would it make a difference for you in your condition that someone you knew had it worse. Can you imagine if you were in the, the hospital and the doctor came in and he said, you know what, it's bad, but you're going to be okay because the guy down the hall, he's got it way worse than you. So don't worry. That's not how a doctor treats a problem, right? Who cares about the dude down the hall? I am sick and I am dying and I need something here. And so option one is you can play that game. You can just believe that your disease won't kill you because somebody else has it worse than you, which is silly. You can hope in the end that sin doesn't destroy you because the world has people worse than you and you're a pretty good person. But the better option, I would say, is to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus who wills that you be cured of your illness called sin. You can place yourself in the hands of the great physician who has established a treatment plan for the fatal disease of sin. And it's quite simple, really. Jesus is the provision for the healing of sin. He is the treatment plan himself. There's no other way. And now I think that there's two parts to the plan and they're in this order because some of you are like, I'm already there. I've, I, Jesus is my savior. He is my plan for restoration and healing. I have trusted in him. And so there's two parts. The first part is that saving part. You go to Jesus and you let him touch your life and he heals you. He heals you. 
You believe like the leper believed that God can and will heal you of sin and you let him cleanse you and he takes on the uncleanness of your leprosy where on the cross Jesus died for your sins in your place so you could be set free and you in exchange take on his perfect cleanness confident of what Jesus has done for you that you've been liberated from the power of sin for all eternity. And Jesus dies, and through his blood, you're cleansed. 1 John 1.7 promises, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I remember a day during my first year of college when I came home. I walked in the door, and my, my dad, he grabbed me. He put his, arm, or his hands on my shoulders, and he looked me in the eyes, and he said, Grady, I have cancer, and it's bad. And he had been diagnosed with late-stage prostate cancer. And the doctors, they weren't sure whether it had already spread from his prostate to other parts of his body or if it was right there on that razor's edge. And a few days later, my dad went into surgery. I think, honestly, it was like two days later, two days after he had found out. And when the procedure was done, the doctors told him he had been cured of cancer. They couldn't believe it. They had managed to get every bit of cancer, and he was in good shape. They were confident they had removed everything. It hadn't spread, and he was going to be just fine. And we were obviously thrilled, right? We had called everybody we knew to be praying for my dad, and we believed that miraculously those prayers worked. And that's the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. He removed the sin. He cured us of the disease if we put our faith in him. And what a beautiful truth that is for us to live on. You know what the doctor said to my dad after that, though? This is step two. You know what the doctor said to my dad after that? They said, we'd like to see you in two weeks for a checkup. And then two months after that, assuming things are good, two months after that for another checkup. And if things continue to go well, we'd like to see you in six months. And then every six months after that, until you've been in remission for a long time. And that's wise, right? That's a plan for good health. You know what my dad did? He never went back to the doctor. (laughs) I love my dad, and I love him to death, but in all seriousness, that's just dumb. (laughs) And my dad is a smart dude. He's smarter than that. That's just foolishness, right? Now, notice in our story, Jesus cleanses the leper. He heals him completely of his disease. And then what does Jesus do? He tells the leper, go and be obedient to the law of God and do what Scripture commands you to do. Live according to the biblical commands of the Old Testament. Now, we're not under the law of the Old Testament anymore, but the principle still applies. God has left us with his Holy Spirit, his word, and his church to make sure that we stay healthy and well We're saved by the blood of Christ, and by his blood we're set free to abide in him. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And we're free from the effects of sin, but God has left us with a plan for our well-being, our wellness in Christ. We're free from sin so that we can walk in the good works that Jesus has prepared for us to do before the foundation of the world through, again, the power of his Holy Spirit, by obedience to his word, 
in the context of Christian community, the church, for the glory of God. Now, one final thought. Why does Luke put this story here after the story of Peter being called to be a fisher of men? Hopefully you were here with us last week when we covered that passage. If not, I'm behind on putting the audio files up on the website. I'll get to that here hopefully this week. But the way that the Bible is put together, it's not an accident. These are not just like random short stories that somebody shuffled into a book that happened to just be this way. God intended every word in it the way that it's laid out. He carefully orchestrated it in the finest of detail. And so why is this story after the story of Peter being called to be a fisher of men? And I think it's because God wants us to see that being a fisher of men as Christian, Christians is to offer people the healing of Christ from the ravages of sin. There's a whole lot of lepers in this world living in isolation, suffering from the pain of evil, people whose actions, the choices they've made, are contributing to their spiritual decay. I mean, just, on my, just in my, on my block, like in my neighborhood, I could name three people off the top of my head who've at one point told me stories about the way that sin is messing up their life. There's a whole lot of people out there who need to hear that Jesus can cleanse them from their illness of sin. And God wants these people to know, he wants, I would say, the whole world to know that Jesus is the provision for the cleansing of sin, not just for you and me, but for everyone out there who's under the death sentence of sin. And the offer is free, and God's will is to heal them from sin. And so I would say, let us who have met Jesus, who have been made clean, now take Jesus to those who are ill. May we be ambassadors for God's healing touch as we live in the freedom that Christ has given us in his sacrificial death. Let me pray for us. Father, in this moment, I I feel led to pray for people in this room who are suffering from the ravages of sin not even sin that they have committed, but sins that have been done against them. And God, often the hardest part of dealing with sin is dealing with the way that other people's sin hurts us. So God, I pray if there are people in this room who are suffering because of someone else's sin, God, I pray that you would just bring them comfort this morning. I ask that you would lift up their hearts I ask that you would somehow breathe some joy into their life as they're going through this season of difficulty. And we thank you that the cleansing that your son Jesus bought on the cross for us is not just cleansing from our own sin, but it's cleansing from all of the effects of sin, whether sin we've committed or sin that's been committed against us. And we praise you for that. And so, Father, breathe hope into our church. Breathe hope into our lives. Breathe peace into the midst of the difficulty. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on the truth that there is more to this life, that there is a resurrection, that there is hope in the resurrection of your son, Jesus. 
And God, I pray if there's people in this room who are just denying the way that sin has a grip on their life, God, I pray that you would bring them to repentance here today. Lord Jesus, would you grab their hearts and would you wrestle their hearts to the ground so they give up trying to do it on their own, so they accept your blood and your sacrifice for their redemption. And Lord Jesus, would you help us to be a church that lives in this reality, that we have been cleansed from sin by your work and we are ambassadors of that good news in a world that desperately needs it. Help us. And we worship you for the gospel, for your cross, for the fact that you've cleansed us and made us clean. In Jesus' name, amen.